0: Our scripture this morning is Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord.
1: This last weekend, I uh, experienced a conversion. Uh, I wasn't looking for a conversion. I wasn't looking to replace my whole way of looking at the world and my way of thinking about things. But like all conversions, it it came unexpectedly and, and happened suddenly, knocked me off my feet. Or in this case, with this particular conversion, it knocked me to my feet. Uh, My wife and daughter, Jenna and Anna, and I had accompanied uh, Nathan and Claire Kingsley. Nathan's the student ministry pastor here, uh, to an FC Cincinnati soccer game for Claire's birthday. And I have worked hard to carefully craft a reputation of being at least sports indifferent, if not downright antagonistic, But the truth is, I really do enjoy soccer. I played the game when I was younger, I refereed as I got older, and if I'm gonna watch any sport live, I mean, that's the most exciting sport of all to watch. I told Pastor Tom that, and he's like, you already lost me. (laughs) See, the thing is, I just don't wanna spend any money on stuff like that, but this game was free, and it was a great excuse for road trips with friends, so that's how I found myself in a stadium with 26,000 other FCC fans and a few hundred really annoying Chicago Fire fans. And at first I resisted the urge to clap along, to shout the last names of the players in the starting lineup as they're announced, to engage in all of those ritualistic chants and taunts that mark solidarity with the FCC Cincinnati fan base, but man, I had a great time got to take Anna along with us, and she got to eat cotton candy and popcorn, and I got to explain the rules of the game to her and watch her smile and get bored and then smile again as it got exciting. And and, and even, even at the end, when it looked like our team just might pull it off and win what was expected to be a blowout, I was on my feet. I'd converted. What in the world is happening to me? I just used, I don't know if you caught it, I just used language that identified myself with a sports team. I don't do that. I don't join teams like that. I'm I'm starting to ask questions like, what time's the game on? I wonder when they play again, five o'clock tonight, in case you were wondering. I feel myself weirdly drawn to buying Under Armour clothing and wearing it in public. (laughs) Like, what's up with that? I mean, this is the first time I've ever worn a shirt with three-quarter-inch sleeves. I thought three-quarter-inch meant it only came down to here, but (laughs) these sports-themed things, they're just, they feel weird, and yet, I I don't, it's a conversion, I guess. Like all conversions, they totally reframe the way we think about the world, and we think about how we approach the world, right? Conversions come with new habits, Uh, A a new mindset, Uh, you could say a whole new mind comes into play when you go through a conversion like this. Now Sundays are game days, right? We're just counting down to when kickoff or the coin toss or whatever it is. Some of you are already worried, boy, if he goes long and then I go to class, can I make it home for the one o'clock kickoff? Sundays become game days and that's what our, our lives begin to revolve around for better or for worse, we have new mindsets, a new mind, a new attitude, a new way of looking at the world. We have new uh, role models, too, new heroes to look up to, players, other fans who show up to the game with faces painted and the clothes on. I mean, if you're a real fan, you don't show up in just any old clothing. You wear the right brands with the right logos on them that express your solidarity with the team you've come to love. You've got new, ro- new role models, a new way of operating in the world, following the example of the people around you. Like any other conversion, you've got a new authority too, a new Lord, to use the Christian-y type word for it. You've, there's somebody else in your life now that calls the shots, that tells you what's worth paying attention to, that dictates your schedule, tells you what to prioritize over other things. A... Conversion brings a new mind or attitude, a new, uh, a new example or role model or hero, a new authority, a new kind of bottom line that you have to, to live up to, whether it's sports fandom or, as we see in the passage that you just heard read, a, a conversion to Christianity, a call to follow Jesus. Also comes with it a new mind, a new way of looking at the world. A new example, a new role model to follow, a new authority, a new person in your life who calls the shots and tells you what's important. As we dig into Philippians 2 5 through 11, we're going to use these three ideas as our way of walking through this passage a new mind, a new example, a new authority. A new mind, a new example, a new authority. Let's jump in. A new mind. A new mindset, a new attitude, and it's in this first point immediately that we start to get the sense that a conversion to Christianity, a decision to follow Jesus, is a whole lot more impactful than a conversion to a sports fandom or following one particular team or adding another team to the roster of teams that you follow. Uh, when we follow Jesus, He kind of supersedes all of that and all the other fandoms in our life. We'll, we'll dig into that, but take a look beginning in verse 5 a whole new mind. Verse 5, uh, where we're starting, this is the only command in the passage that we read this morning. This is the only imperative, the only mandate, the only thing that we're told to do. In fact, just those first three words are the command. Everything after that, verses 5 through 11, is you could think of it as supplemental evidence or um, just extra, extra things for you to think about as, as, as you do what he's commanding us here in verse 5, these first three words. Have this mind have this mind, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind. Or if you're reading from another translations translation, then yours might say something like, you should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Or your mindset should be the same as Christ Jesus. We could translate it a a little more directly, but perhaps less elegantly by simply saying, this think among you all the way also in Christ Jesus. That doesn't make as much sense, but it it gets to exactly what Paul is saying here. This think, think this way, the way that Jesus also thought. Among all of you, think like this, the way that Jesus thought. The ESV kind of leans by saying, uh, which was yours in Christ Jesus, to like, you can do this. Because of Jesus, you can have the same mind, the same attitude, the same mindset, the same way of thinking about the world, the same way of looking at the world as Jesus does. Have this mind, and it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Think like Jesus. Think like Jesus, which sounds simple, but since I only survived a couple of weeks with a what would Jesus do bracelet before I felt guilty for not doing what Jesus would do, I'm not sure I would last all that long with a what would Jesus think hat on before people started questioning if I was really thinking like Jesus. You know, I, I, was, I was thinking about how, how, to, how to explain this, um, how we come to think like someone else. And I, I couldn't help but reflect on experiences in, in my own marriage. Uh, my wife and I have been married for almost 15 years now, and shortly after we got married, uh, we, I found myself, we found ourselves in, in social situations uh, where we'd be interacting with another couple or a few other people, uh, whether it was people we were trying to impress or friends. You know, we'd move to Dallas, we're trying to make new friends and all that, and I kept noticing this odd sequence of events. I would say something, and then my shin would hurt. And it took me a while to sort of, actually the very f- first few times it happened, I was like, did you just kick me? I said that out loud <laughs> in front of whoever these people were. I couldn't figure out, like, why, why does my leg suddenly hurt? And, and it, it took a while before I realized, like, I would say something and my shin would hurt, and then on the way home, Jenna would reference what I had said right before my leg started hurting <laughs> and tell me why saying that was maybe not the best thing to say in that particular context or with those people. And fast forward, you keep going a couple of years after about 10 years of this this sort of three-part thing happening, you know, I say something, I get hurt, and then we talk about it, um, that happening over and over again, I realized recently, like, I I can actually start to think ahead of time (laughs) about what I'm saying from her perspective, I didn't know this was possible, but I'm starting to kick myself <laughs> under the table before I say the dumb thing. It's great. Fifteen years of watching how she operates and learning how she thinks, and now I, I, can, I can think my way, which is easy and the default, but I can think her way too, which is so much more loving and gracious and kind and, and And I realized, you know, 15 years of time with a person helps me learn how to think the same way that person thinks, to the point where the bruises are almost gone. (laughs) The swelling's gone down. I feel so much better. I don't need ice all the time after every social occasion. Paul's telling us, look, think the way Jesus thinks. Have this mind His mind, have the mind that is in Christ Jesus, have that mind in yourself, not just in you individually, but among yourselves, all of us together as a congregation. Of course, individually living this out, but collectively demonstrating it. Have this mind. But he doesn't just leave us to guess what did Jesus think? How did Jesus act, and how did his thinking lead him to act that way? He gives us a really clear example and ties last week's passage to this week's passage as we're we're studying this over these weeks. Look back at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of of others. Have that mind, Jesus' mind, Paul says. Right, So he's giving a command to this church. He's saying, look, here's what I need you to do in in chapter 2, verse 1. If there's any of these things that I'm talking about, complete my joy by being unified, by, by having unity among the church. For Paul, one of the fundamental evidences of the effectiveness of the gospel in a person's life is the unity of the church. That the church comes together, that people who otherwise would not find themselves sitting at the same table enjoying a meal together that these people would find themselves as brothers and sisters in Christ around the table, sitting next to each other in chairs. This weekend, is, this coming weekend, is our Global Impact Conference, and one of the uh, events that I'm really excited about is the event we're calling Speaking Peace Together. It's the first time we've tried a real outward-oriented event using the, the expertise of our missions family uh, to serve the neighborhoods around us. Ashley, who's part of our Global Missions family will be part of this event, as well as his friend Brian Newman. Now, now Ash grew up with, uh, in an Arab background, devout Muslim who came to Christ. Brian grew up as a devout Jew in the U.S. who came to Christ, and they met in Indianapolis. And I got to interact with them as we were brainstorming the event and how it was going to come together, and and they told me, (laughs) Brian just came right out and said, he's like, look, if we'd met each other before Jesus, we would have been nice. But inward, we would have hated one another. And Ash says, yeah. Except something bigger than both of those identities superseded that identity. Something more unifying overcame both of those other identities. It was their brotherhood in Christ. That's what they want to share at this event. I I hope... I hope this event has a a huge impact on the community around us, our neighbors. Um, Help us out. Grab a a flyer or a postcard or a stack of postcards. Hand them out. Mail them out. Do whatever. But uh, we want to pack out the room so that people can hear the message from two men who've lived it. That there's something bigger than our hatred for one another. There's the peace that Jesus brings. See, for Paul... It's the unifying bond of Christ that is evidence that the gospel is real and that it works in people's lives. And so as he's calling them to have that same mind, be of one accord, have the same love, be of one mind with one another, to to think the same way. He's saying, look, I'm not just saying, hey, think the same way. Let me show you how that's been lived out. Let me point you to an example There's a a mindset, an attitude you need to adopt as a follower of Jesus. Let me show you what that looks like, he says, and he goes on. But before we follow his thread and go on, let's just pause for a moment and think to ourselves. What's our mindset like? Do we have the same mindset as Jesus Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I don't want to re-preach Jeff's sermon from last week because he did a great job and doesn't need my help. But when we look at this, have the same mind, we have to think to ourselves, do I have that same mind that Jesus had? Why not? Am I growing in having that same mind. There's some old ways of thinking that we need to let go and replace with Jesus' way of thinking. I, I jotted down a couple of thoughts. Maybe your old habit of thinking is that God just couldn't possibly love you unless you manage to figure out how to do everything perfectly. And if you can do everything exactly right to the point where you love you then maybe God will love you. It's a bad way of thinking. Maybe that old habit of thinking that you're holding on to is, hey, when it comes to who calls the shots in my life, there's only one person in charge, me. I decide for myself what I need and what it takes to be happy. I decide for myself where I go, and I'm not, no one else, no family system, no societal expectations, no religion, no external imposed authority is going to tell me what to do. I decide for myself. You can be a Christian and believe that, but it's bad thinking. I was talking with my spiritual director this week, trying to start to get to the bottom of this this stuff that I've been discovering in myself over the last couple of months that um, competition drives me more than it should. I would have never admitted in the past that I'm competitive and, until he started pointing things out and I realized I am competitive like crazy. It mostly takes the form of intellectual competitiveness uh, and sort of skill-based competitiveness. I am better at things I've never tried than people who have d- been doing it for decades. <laughs> that's what my brain thinks. That's just how I'm, I'd say how I'm wired, but maybe it's better to say that's how I'm fallen. I mean, That whole attitude helped me when I was younger, but it's killing me now. I don't think I would have admitted or even recognized in myself that I had this bad way of thinking until it was pointed out to me by my spiritual director and him saying, hey, you know, in Philippians 2, it says, don't think too highly of yourself. Consider one another better than yourself. Do you have the mind of Jesus when you're comparing yourself to everyone around you? And I told him, personal change is hard and I want to stop now, please. And he didn't let me off the hook. What about your mind? What habits of thinking need to be replaced? What habits of thinking need a conversion experience so that instead of being solely focused on yourself 24 7 or the collecting of things that that you need they can begin to be focused on Jesus his example how he thought how he minded the world around him what habits of thinking is God bringing to your mind right now Does that need to be brought under his rule because conversion Especially conversion to Christianity, it is not about simply behaving better or adding new behaviors or adding new uh, rituals or adding new things that you do to try to control yourself. It's it's much more radical than that. Paul tells us, look, coming to Christ is being given an entirely new mind, a, a whole new way of thinking and looking at the world, which of course will lead to change in behavior. It can't not, but it starts by being transformed up here. So what habits of thinking do you need to submit to Jesus? Well, while we're still thinking about that question, let's let's follow Paul's thread through to the example. We said a conversion brings with it, of course, a whole new mind, new habits of thinking, new ways of looking at the world. Uh, But it also brings new examples, new role models, new heroes, to follow and we see that example come through in verse 5 through about verse 8 or so paul says have this mind among yourselves which is in christ jesus who and you know what before i go i just want to point out like this is one of the few real mountaintops in scripture Like, if you're doing a high-level flyover of the Bible, you can't not see this passage. It's poetic, it's glorious, it's this high, theologians call it a high Christology of who Jesus is, but I don't want us to miss the reason that Paul's including this passage. We're looking to Jesus and what he's done because he's the example, the The model, the paradigm, the whatever you want to call it for how we too should think about our own lives and how we live. So yeah, we, and even as Margie read it earlier, we we soar on the heights uh, of the beauty of this prose, this poetry. But don't don't lose the point. It's not the words that are supposed to grab us, but Jesus himself. All right, let's take a look. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Oh, we'll pause there for a second. Because do you see the, the phrase, in the form of God? Normally when we use the word form, we're referring to external appearance. But Paul is using a Greek word that means internal nature, the, the essence of who a person is. When he's saying Jesus is in the form of God, he's not saying Jesus sort of looked like God or had the same shape of God. He's saying Jesus shared the same fundamental attributes, the same essence as God himself. Okay, so Jesus is in the form of God, but did not count equality with God, another way of saying being the same as God. He did not count his being as God as a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto, a thing to be clench fist around. This is a notoriously hard word uh, to translate, and it's difficult to put it in English in any sort of succinct way, but probably the best way to think of this phrase, a thing to be grasped, is that Jesus did not consider his being God to consist of gathering and hoarding and holding on to power and privilege and rights, and his own status. I don't know if you've been following the news in Egypt, uh, riots across Egypt, um, following some viral vid- videos that a, that a uh, construction contractor took, um, showing how the, the president allegedly used public money to build these lavish palaces for himself. And I get why they're frustrated because it seems like every person who gets to a point of power or authority begins to think that the sole privilege of being in this position is to hold in the power, to hoard the authority, to hoard all of the privileges that come with being high and use them to their own advantage. So a, another way of translating this phrase in verse 6 is to say that Jesus did not count equality with God to be something to use to his own advantage. something to to use to get for himself. Instead, but, verse 7 says, but Jesus emptied himself. Paul says, and he's quoting these words that are probably an early Christian hymn or sort of creedal statement, a statement of belief Paul's saying, look, Jesus was in the very form of God. He shared in the very nature of God, but didn't think that his being God, his being equal with God, consisted in filling himself up, but of emptying himself out. He's saying we're, Jesus is never more godlike than when he's emptying himself. We think of positions of power and authority like all the other rulers and lords and gods that we know of the society around us that hold in and hoard and fill themselves. He's saying, but Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, there's some technical stuff going on here I don't want to spend a lot of time on, but Jesus didn't empty himself of anything like a cup can be emptied of water. He emptied Himself, he poured himself out of heaven into the form of a servant. And form again, not appearance, not the external, but the the, the fundamental character, essence of a thing. Jesus, fully, one hundred percent, completely, and entirely God, also became fully and completely and one hundred percent human not just any human, but a servant human, the lowliest of the low. Paul isn't saying here that, okay, so Jesus was God, and then he left that behind in order to become a human being. No. He's not saying Jesus was God, and then he sort of added to it uh, humanity, so now you have this weird mix of the two that's a whole new thing, like a unicorn or something like that. No. He's saying Jesus, who was and is 100% fully, completely God, has also poured himself into humanity and 100% completely and fully taken on the form, the essence, the nature, the fundamental attributes of humanity by becoming a human being, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. And boy, you think that's as if that's not humbling enough. Which is incredibly humbling, especially for the time period in which this was written. No Western religion uh, believed that matter, that physicality, that stuff mattered. It was at, at um, at best kind of forgettable or unfortunate, and at worst, evil. For a God to marry himself to matter, to join with matter with stuff with physicality was thought to be like well how could the how could the spiritual the the clean the pure the holy uh, join itself with the dirty the fleshly It, it was not thought so it's humbling enough to think of god embracing jesus as god embracing a vocation a calling downward toward union with all this stuff that we all look in the mirror and don't like. But even more than that, verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And even then, not just any death, but a death on a cross. The downward trajectory continues step by step by step from god fully god equal with god to emptying himself himself to becoming human to becoming a servant human the lowliest of the low despised and hated homeless and rejected to becoming obedient to the servant calling even to the point of death but not just any death but an excruciating death literally excruciating comes from two words meaning from a cross Let me paraphrase this for us, because when we catch the thread of what's happening from verse 4 all the way back, it should should humble us, send us to the ground. Verse 4 and on, I paraphrase it like this, don't just think about yourself, think about others. Look, I know that's hard, but Jesus did it, and he gave up so much more than you'd have to give up if you were to do it. You should have the same outlook on life, the same way of thinking that Jesus did. Look, look at how he did it. He, he's God, but he didn't consider being God as consisting and gathering and hoarding power and standing up for his rights and telling people, look, if you want to be close to me, you have to come to me. Now instead, he emptied himself. He poured himself out of all of his privileges in heaven onto earth. And did what no God, no Lord, no ruler, no authority of that time or ours would ever do. He humbled himself below even the people who was his right to rule over. And continued to follow the humility of that servant vocation even to the point of death. The most ignominious death that a person could suffer, the death reserved for non-citizens, for outcasts, for thieves, for criminals, for slaves. Can you think of one Lord, one, one God, one ruler of the world around you who would do that? Can you think of one authority figure in your life who would put themselves, the one who rules over you, underneath you and serves you even to the point of The cost to themselves of absolutely everything? Paul says, no. There's no one else like Jesus. There's no one else who has given so much for your sake. That's the mind I want you to have. That's the thinking that I want to characterize the way you look at the world. That your call on this earth is to model yourself after the true hero, a real example, the one who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and being found in human likeness and being in the, the form of a man humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Think like that guy. What does it take... To live that kind of life, well, it takes some thinking, actually some thinking that he spelled out. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Paul says, could you imagine what the church would look like if we all did that? Can you imagine the witness we would have in the world around us if the church did that? This is how you know the gospel is working in your life when you find yourself more and more drawn to the Jesus who gave himself for you and more and more wanting to be like that Jesus. Think the same way that he thought to follow his example, his path, his model, his paradigm for how you live your own life. If, we, if we've been captured by, caught by, if our, if our hearts have been grabbed by the story of the God who would do that for us, even more than our hearts have been grabbed by the, the glory of our favorite team or the, uh, the thrill of the rivalry, the joy of thinking, maybe this will be the year the hope that it could happen, my team could prevail, if our hearts had been gathered or grabbed or, or drawn by this story, wow, imagine what it would do to us. Imagine what new way of thinking we would begin approaching the world with. Imagine if our hero, our role model, the one we wanted to be like was not just uh, the athlete with incredible dedication or the musician with uh, amazing skill or the the entrepreneur with the ability to just to just risk it all to go all in on their own their belief in the next big venture or the uh, uh, the businessman who shows uh, leadership gravitas and moral clarity in his leadership what if what if even more than those models who are good models but what if even more than them we saw the jesus who was full but emptied himself so that you could be full. The Jesus who had all the treasures of heaven, let go of them all so that you could find the treasures of heaven in him. The Jesus, though, who he was God, became man so that us men and women could have communion and union with God. top of the service, we sang that old hymn, And Can It Be?, which is a hymn that I love. The, the, I always feel like the melody doesn't quite fit, and I haven't heard a better one, but it's, the first stanza is where it doesn't fit. The rest of them, it's good and celebratory, but have you ever paid attention to that first stanza? And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued? amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? Man, when that story grabs us and our hearts are pulled, even in a conversion almost against our wills, as the beauty of that draws us to the God who has revealed himself to us in Jesus, who has paid the price for us in Jesus, imagine what that could do in our lives and in the life of our community among ourselves. It's that story, that example, that model, that paradigm that grabs us and transforms us. See, like any other conversion, there's a new mindset, there's a new way of thinking that enters into the picture here, but there's also a new hero, the greatest hero that we have ever read or come, come to hear about. Now, Paul, of course, is also writing to a group of people that have been suffering. From their perspective, this this Jesus that they're following, it's important that Paul lays out the fact that this Jesus suffered on their behalf because they, too, are suffering and starting to wonder if it's really worth it. Should I be following a God who leads me into suffering? And Paul says, well, yeah, because that's actually where he went, and we follow his downward call, but, 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 verse 9. Here's what's happened and what's going to happen. Therefore, therefore, because of Jesus' self-emptying, his self-giving, his uh, one theologian calls it radical self-donation. Therefore, God has highly exalted him to the highest degree and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Given to Jesus God's own name itself. Lord in English, or Kyrios in Greek, Yahweh. In Hebrew this is the name that Jesus now owns so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess every tongue confess that the Lord Yahweh Kyrios, the Lord is in fact none other than the God who became man and died on our behalf Jesus Christ every tongue confess that the Lord is Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father Now, maybe we could think that, well, what Jesus did was just necessary. It was was the price he had to pay. There wasn't really a choice about it, but he went ahead and did it because that that was what was expected of him. That's not what Paul's saying. Maybe we could think, well, Jesus was obligated. I mean, he was part of creating us, and then something went wrong, and we fell, and somebody had to clean up the mess, so Jesus did it. It's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, have this mind. Think this way. Think the way Jesus did that led to these actions. You want to know what God is really like? You want to know what you should really be like? Look at Jesus. Look at the Jesus who gave himself, sacrificed himself, emptied himself, donated himself and be like that. But wow, if we just left it there, what a, what a moral burden, right? Okay, so I need to go out of here and give more, be more, do more, think more, be better, give more, be less selfish. I mean, we would just come up with another 10 Commandments, right? If we just left it at that, be like Jesus. Well, let's remember, we're, we're reading this in context. Yeah, we're, we're going to follow up next week. Therefore, as you have always obeyed, so now continue. Work out this salvation. Continue to obey. But do not simply obey because that's the thing you're supposed to do. It says obey. Act in a certain way. Because your mind has been radically changed, because your heart has been fundamentally grabbed by the beauty of the God who gave himself for you. This is what Jesus has done. Let the knowledge of that transform you so that your thinking is reformed and transformed so that your behavior and your actions then follow out of that. And yeah, sometimes you got to force yourself to obey. And then you come back to the story of the God who gave himself for you and you let that transform you let that grab your heart so that it transforms your mind so that your actions again are changed i don't know that i really truly converted to sports fandom because i would have to pay for espn plus to watch fc cincinnati games at home and tickets cost money and nathan hasn't given me any more free ones but i have to admit that being in a gathering of people focused together on on watching and celebrating the same story seeing the conflict hoping together for victory over the forces of evil and darkness being in a community that uh, dressed the same so that they could they could identify with one another hey you're a follower of them too chanting and cheering and being swept along emotionally together, that, that does something to your heart. Like, that grabs you. It's hard to not… You have to work against being human to work against wanting to be part of a group like that. Now, I'm not saying the church we should be yelling, you know, touchdown on point two for the, from the pastor's sermon or something like that. That's not the point. But we are a community of like-minded people who identify with one another are united around watching and rehearsing week after week the same story, except a story in which the conflict with the forces of darkness, we ultimately win every single week and know that in eternity future, we will win ultimately and completely through Jesus and his final defeat of death and darkness and evil. And we come together every week to say, I know how the story ends but man, I can't, I can't help but want to watch. And then we walk out of here like fans, with a new mind, a new model, a new authority. And slowly, week by week, we become like the hero who has come for us. Would you all pray with me? God, in your goodness, we were the ones who were oppressed under the weight of sin and darkness. We were the ones who were oppressed under our own weight of selfishness and self-seeking and self-hoarding and gathering, and yet... And yet when we didn't deserve it, when we couldn't earn it, you yourself, God, three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, you, Jesus, left your throne, left your fullness, left your glory, left your treasure, and emptied yourself into our world so that we could be drawn back up to fellowship with God through you. There's no greater story. God, overwhelm us with your goodness to us that we may be transformed, that we may be drawn to you, that as individuals, we would have the mind that Jesus had and so as a community, have this mind, this unity. And so live out in our own lives into the world around us the story of a gospel that changes everything, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.